This is a bit of a different one. I think you don't start off with Adam Sandler as the main network. And we you just lose all our followers. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you are now listening to Film Fluence. And we are back, guys. And today we have an extremely exciting episode. Cody, would you like to let them know why? <laughs> we have a guest with us. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, yes, I'm I'm Jaron. I'm a screenwriter based in Leeds. And we are so excited to have you, Joe. <laughs> um, so since we've actually literally just met Joe, uh, we thought we would all get to do a get to know each other game. And you guys can join in with us and listen and get to know us as well a bit more. <laughs> so we thought we could start on like favourite films by guessing each other's favourite films if we describe each other's favourite films. Okay. Okay. So, since you're the special guest, Joe, you're the guest of honour, would you like to go first? Um, yeah, so I, so I just have to describe it without... Describe without, like, giving away too much. You what it is. <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay, okay so my favourite film is... Um, the lead actor is in a very different genre than he normally is. Normally, uh, comedy, but actually incredibly sad. Um, and it's told in a non linear time narrative. Um, yeah, it's a very famous comedic actor, and mm. it was out in came out in 2004 I think or 2005 and it has it has Mark Ruffalo in it Ooh. it has um, Elijah Wood in it okay. it has Kate Winslet in it oh <laughs> <laughs> See, I like the actors, but I'm not sure if I know it. I really want to cheat. I have the temptation. <laughs> no, literally, I was about to cheat. Um, so it's written by the same writer that wrote um, Being John Malkovich. Hmm. And the new Netflix film, uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, okay. This is, oh, this sounds incredible. I doubt I've watched it because I have terrible you taste. I will just let you know <laughs> yeah. that. I have terrible glad taste. Glad if I've introduced you to it. Oh, I, really uh, I will like definitely I have to watch it after this. I really feel like I should know it. Mm, I am so tempted to see you. Don't you don't understand. Oh, I yeah. <laughs> um, um, see, when I think of comedy actors, I'm guessing they're American. Are they American by any chance? No, they are Canadian. Okay. Oh, no, then it's not Steve Carell. Um, not Steve Carell, no. Mm. I, I would argue more famous than Steve Carell. Really? I don't know a comedian yeah. more famous than Steve Carell. Oh. There's one. Cody, come on. No, because I really want to cheat, but I can't. Wait, like, Jim Carrey's American, right? Uh, he's Canadian. Oh, I was going to oh, say he's Jim Carrey. Okay, Cody, then you should definitely know this. Cody's <laughs> like the Jim Carrey fan. Oh no! Yeah, if you're a Jim Carrey fan, you haven't seen this film. Is it? 
I know it. It's the Eternal. Um, what is it? I forgot the name of the film. <laughs> the the Eternal Sunshine for Spotless Mind. See, I that's been on my watch list for so long, and I haven't watched it. And I, I'm gonna have to watch it. You should. I watched it the other week. Um, it's very, very sad. Yeah, it is. Oh, see, I, I, don't, I don't want the war work to come out though. Because you have to watch it when you're sad, because otherwise, it'll bring the whole no down. It'll bring you down. See, so you might as well already be down there. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, see, it's um amazing it's told backwards essentially but yeah definitely Ooh, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to tune into that as soon as possible yeah, um. by charlie kaufman and anything by charlie kaufman is amazing like being john malkovich um adaptation which is a film about making writing a film um synecdoche new york loads of like it just they're mental. I don't know how he his his brain works. I feel the right, exact same way about Baz Luhrmann. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cody, since you're the Jim Carrey fan, I do think that you should go next. Okay, so um, my favorite film also has the same one of the same actors. Um, it came out. Oh, before it came out. Um, it's also very. I just realised I know which film you're talking about. <laughs> It's also very sad, and I don't know. Should I give like if I give a clue to the plot, it's just going to give it all away. Yeah, maybe not See, a clue to the plot, but yeah, like yeah, because if I say the plot, you will get it instantly. Yeah, um, I think we should let Joe guess because I already know this. Yeah, um, what else? I believe it came out in nineteen ninety ninety five. I want to say, could be wrong. I don't know. Um, and okay. I feel like just in it. case if I could get it from that. Yeah. You can you can go for a guess. Is it Titanic? It's not. Ah. Uh, um I was hoping that I was like just gonna flick it. <laughs> <laughs> um what else? Can I Google the director? Because I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know the director of my favorite film. Peter Weir. Peter Weir. <laughs> Trying to think of which. Okay, give me which actor it is. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the Truman Show. Mm-hmm. I feel like some people well, would argue that it isn't. That's like the ending isn't really sad, but I still. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. It's a. Yeah. Part yeah, part, part, parts of it are a bit sad. Yeah, I still say, I still think the ending's really sad, but that's only, I've watched it like four times. So like every single time I just, I don't know. Like I find more about it and then I like read into it too much and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I find it hilarious that your favourite film, you've seen it four times. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, I've seen films that I don't like more than, <laughs> more than that maybe. But that's potentially because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them a lot more. Oh. See, my film is nowhere near as artistic as either of yours. Um, <laughs> I would not even say it's the best film to exist. For me, it is. 
that's subjective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So favorite film doesn't mean best film. Yeah. Um, hmm. See, okay, this is how I'm going to describe it. It comes under the chick flick category. Although we did do an episode on it where we argued that it was not a chick flick. Oh, I know what it is then. <laughs> I already know what it is. Uh, oh, you can just go ahead and say it. It's 10 things I hate about you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do my research. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. I do appreciate it. No. It is a I great think, film, though. Like, it is, isn't it? it is. I think it's just the per- it is the perfect rom com. I have to stick with it. It just is. I can't move away from it. Yeah, I remember. I remember watching it when it. I'm guessing when it first came out, when I was like twelve or something, and it like blew my mind. It was great. It is. I think it's just like the dynamics between Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles is perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I really like. I don't know. I just love Heath Ledger. I think he was such a talented actor. I will stick with that for my life mm-hmm. yeah i think i think i watched it on vhs really yeah yeah i would have loved watching on vhs because you see like i remember going into blockbuster when i was a kid <laughs> just going into blockbuster and finding all the tapes and things like that and like sticking them in the the, the cassette type thing and just watching it on tv and being like wow this is so cool <laughs> like this is so yeah. cool <laughs> I just feel like um, it would be a like, more fun experience than just like opening up Netflix and streaming something. Like, oh, 100%. I just... Just annoying when you, um, when you put it in, you'd even forgotten to rewind it from the <laughs> yeah. last time and you had to manually yeah. rewind it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what was really annoying? Like when these like all transferred onto like discs, like DVDs, when the DVDs would get scratched or overplayed, they would just stop working. Yeah. It was so annoying. And then I wouldn't be able to watch my favorite film, which is probably like Dora or something <laughs> back then. Like, I, I know remember, Dora was like a TV show. I remember, show. like, because like, when you're a kid, like, and you watch a DVD, you just, like, you don't put them back properly. So I remember I, like, ruined my house musical DVD. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, same, same. But you know what? I feel like on the topic of this conversation, we should probably get into, like, the different types of TV shows and films that have inspired you? Um, films, anything written by um, Aaron Sorkin, um, West Wing, TV show, I guess, but still Sorkin. Um, not that I write in any way like him because he's completely unique. Um, yeah, Charlie Kaufman. Again, not like a don't try and imitate him because it's not possible. Um, I think it, it, it's sort of a difficult question because, it, and you guys being film students, you'll understand that it's it depends on the project because you're not going to take inspiration from something that doesn't make sense in that genre anyway. So, for example, my most recent work that I've been doing for uni um i wrote a short horror film and it's basically not a rip-off but a lot of it is based on the original john carpenter's halloween um and it's set in um but that's the thing i i knew that it was that but only after i'd written it that i kind of wrote it and then someone went that's halloween and i was like (laughs) Oh, yeah, like reading it back, Greg. I've just rewritten Halloween. Um, 
yeah so it all depends on the kind of the different projects um breaking bad obviously has to be mm. like up there in terms of tv shows buffy when i was a kid i'm re-watching it at the minute and kind of remembering why i loved it so much when i was a kid and there's just like so much because and it's like because of my backgrounds like musical theater mm-hmm. there's all like the broadway musicals and west end and stuff that that bleeds in as well and there's just too much to kind of say any any one particular thing yeah no that makes sense um you mentioned like two or three writers is there any specific reason like you take any influence from them like what is it about their writing so sorkin's dialogue is incredible Mm -hmm. um like have you seen the west wing i don't think i have so you'll have seen, I'm guessing you'll have seen something like uh, The Social Network. Yeah, yeah. So you know how, how fast they talk? Yeah. So that was because Sorkin refused to cut his script down. Mm-hmm. So he wrote a script that was 210 pages, which is ridiculous, or something that might be, might course, be less yeah. than that, but ridiculous. And they went... And David Fincher met with him and said, this needs cutting down. We can't film this. Yeah. And Sorkin went, no, they'll just have to speak quicker. <laughs> I love that. I and he was like, that. and it's like a genuine thing. because he And he was like, what, what he did. And they wanted it to be an hour and 57 minutes. And Sorkin read his script to David Fincher at the speed that he wanted it to be read <laughs> and it was an hour and 57 minutes and he went they'll just have to do it at that speed he sounds as so stubborn as me <laughs> it, but but that's the thing it works when you watch it it makes so much it sense does. And, you, and, and Fincher does. was just like okay no that makes sense but when you go back and watch the west wing mm-hmm. it, it, it it's in there as well but it makes sense in that setting because they're in the White House, so everything moves quickly, mm. and you're and and the famous and and now it's to the point of it being sort of like a cliche the the talking walk and talk that people walk and talk all the time in all of his films, but it comes from the West Wing because they're always going from one room to another and things yeah. need to happen very quickly, so it makes sense to do that and but you see the the rhythm. And his repetition in his words as well. Um, so you'll have, and it's one of the things where being a film student, it's frustrating because then you watch it back and you kind of, you notice it and then you can't yeah, not I, see it. Definitely, and you definitely. Go, so whenever you watch so any, anything Sorkin's written, like the so next time you watch Social Network. The social Network. Watch for how many times a line is just someone repeating the same line back to them as a question <laughs> every single time. Like like that that opening scene, it happens four times. Oh and God. it's just them saying, Yeah. It's just exactly the same. And because and it's because it it becomes like music. Yeah, yeah. And, and the rhythm of the words that he's saying, it's very carefully written. Whereas 
so like so that's why Sorkin's dialogue is so good because it's just only he can do it like other people can you can kind of probably make an imitation of it but it will only ever be an, an imitation similar to I guess if you think about it a rap artist of course yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly the same thing just a different kind of medium I guess so like him and then Charlie Kaufman just because of how like innovative he is and interesting and like something like even now because it, it was like back in the 90s or whatever early 2000s but even now with them thinking of ending things which if you haven't seen it on Netflix watch it four or five times because there's so much stuff that you won't see the first time um and again with like eternal sunshine and adaptation which is nick nicholas cage's best film he's ever done um quite easily where he plays charlie kaufman so it's it's hmm. a film about charlie kaufman writing the film that he is in <laughs> so he's writing the film that that he's in I think and that's you kind so of cool. go, what? Like, I, I don't, I, and there's so, and it's, it's a way of him like talking about how how he. So basically, in the film, he has a he has a twin. Mm-hmm. In real life, he doesn't have a twin, but he has this twin that is the kind of the part of his personality yeah. that he doesn't like. That is very much a kind of wanting to pander to the to the studios and wanting to write something that is because he's t- telling him why don't you put a car chase at the end of it and there needs to be like sex and there needs to be they get drugs and stuff and he was like no like I just want so it's it's one of them where you watch it and you go I don't really understand what happened but I enjoy it mm-hmm. yeah and then you yeah. watch it again and you go oh that's that's what's happened um but yeah and anything like that is if i create any moment where you go oh so so that's what it is then and you've thought something different it's like the film that i'm uh crowdfunding at the minute i was about to crowdfund a lot of my friends had said oh so this and after they wrote it and i went don't know i didn't i didn't intend that but okay (laughs) yeah 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 no yeah i I meant for it to come across like that i have no idea (laughs) but that's that's the kind of stuff where it's not it's not obvious because other people are getting things from it that you that you didn't intend it kind of it's all like shakespeare (laughs) it kind of reminds me of that um episode of black mirror i think it's called hang the dj Oh no, or Shut Up and Dance. I think it's Shut Up and Dance, where um, it's the the protagonist is kind of like, it's it looks like he's being framed and you sort of feel bad for him throughout the whole thing because he's being blackmailed. But then in the end, it's revealed that he's actually like a paedophile. And then when you watch it again, you see all the little things that you missed, like the little clues and the weird things in his behaviour. And it's kind of like mind blowing because you feel so weird because you felt so bad for him throughout the whole episode. And you're like, oh my God, this poor guy. And in the end, you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's White Rabbit for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's, I think it's really a... interesting. Well, just <laughs> sorry. Um, 
no, I just think it's really interesting because I feel like dialogue is something because it's so like verisimilitudal um, that it gets overlooked. It's something that like you'll be talking on a daily basis. So when you're hearing it in a film, it just sounds like, okay, there we go again. But when you're reading the dialogue, obviously it's a different thing. I did it. I'm also in, in, uh, like an English literature student. So you know, it's obviously different for me because I went into like deep analysis. But um, no, I feel like it's just when you look back at things, sometimes when there is a big revelation at the end, especially like psychological thrillers, you tend to notice little things more in dialogue that they said beforehand. And you're like, oh okay like that meant that like I was literally just doing an analysis for the paper uh, for a paper on the jazz singer from 1927 and just there was this like one line at the end where he's like he says he like he calls his mother a different name but you don't realize until you go back into it and you peer into it that like he was actually stereotyping himself and herself um even though you know they were basically assimilating in a way but anti-assimilation at the same time and I think there's so much impact with dialogue like even you were talking about Sorkin like I never knew Sorkin wrote The Social Network because you don't think about looking into it until you're interested in that category I would say um and then you know when you think about it he wrote that iconic line that's blowing up everywhere especially on TikTok um of Andrew Garfield acting as Eduardo where he's like take your fuck you flip-flops you pretentious you know and you just think about it and you're like wow oh my god that line is so iconic and someone had to cross that line and make it so witty and from everything you said it sounds like the style that you tend to go for is the witty style which I think is amazing yeah I like mine is, is not like either of the ones that I've described I just think that they're really good I think they my inspiration is, 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 I guess, from them, the way in which it fits what they want to do. And I think dialogue is the hardest thing to do. Um, I am told that I do good dialogue. I don't, I, I don't say that I do because I don't feel like I have the authority to say I do anything well. Other people will say that. Um, but I think that's just because maybe because I've got a theatre background that I'm used to being around dialogue and things where it's spoken out loud and I do directing and stuff. So a lot of that is, oh, well, that doesn't really sound right. So I'm used to having that kind of ear, I guess, maybe. Um, but in terms of subtext and things like that and trying to kind of put things in that the people are really, what what they're really saying, the biggest tip I can give people is make your script sound ridiculous at first so if you want them to be saying something where they don't mean what they say so you have to write it where they say what they mean and you write exactly what they're actually trying to say regardless of how stupid it sounds because then you can go back in, a, in an edit and say, right, well, they wouldn't actually say that. So what can they say that really says that in, underneath? Because the thing with dialogue and the same with anything, to be fair, if you're stuck on something, just write something ridiculous or something that is bad. Like I, when I, I wrote my feature, 120 pages in a month, 
but purely because I was writing it and my fiance was in the same room and I was going, this is rubbish. Like, this is terrible, but it's on the page. And because you can't edit a blank page and the amount of people and myself included when I first started wanted to get it perfect and you'll agonize over a piece of uh, one line of dialogue where you're like, I want them to say something interesting. Well, just have them say anything and you can go back and change it. Like nobody's reading it as, a, as you're writing it. And that free, f- freed me up massively to just go, just get it on the page and then worry about it later. That I think that that's the biggest thing with dialogue is just, even if you are just saying something really obvious, then at least you can go back and say, well, what, 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 what can they say? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, you're right. Like, again, nowhere in any proximity to the work that you do. But I feel like even when I'm writing my essays, everyone's like to me, like, get it down on the page because I panic that I've got a word count, you know, it's not perfect. But there was like, you can re-edit. Um, so, you know, you can go back and do it. And I'm like, no, 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 I have to get it perfect. But I think it's a process you learn along the way that, you can't get it perfect on the first try, um, especially with film. Film isn't something that you can just get right immediately. You know, it there is a natural instinct in everybody, but there's not something that you can perfect like that. You have to learn, you have to grow, you expand your knowledge as you grow. Um, and so I think just everything you said, you just show, you know, that people behind the screen are human too, <laughs> which is, you know, a thing that people look over because the film industry is deemed so glamorous that everyone does immediately think, oh, that's a piece of cake. But that's not the way it is at all. Even the best films, the films that we discussed earlier, will have had a first draft that was garbage. Yeah. Every first draft is garbage. Like, no matter who you are, because like you say, it's not possible. And it's again it's a cliche but it's a cliche because it's true um that writing is rewriting yeah like no nobody can and i think the amount of times where or back when i started theater and i just kind of and i was pretty happy with the first draft and i'd just go with that or make like a couple of changes and then now to see how many drafts my current scripts get and it's like, if I, like, I don't know what my what grade I'm going to come up with, with my first, for my first module, but I'm pretty happy with what I submitted. If I submitted what my first draft was, it's a completely different film to what I, I ended up with. And that's only a short film that ended up with maybe seven or eight drafts. If you think about how many drafts, like ones that get made professionally in Hollywood, say, sometimes for the debt to the detriment of them, to be fair, because then you get yeah. maybe by committee. But it's just like there's nothing wrong. Like people sometimes forget as well that just because there's nothing wrong with it doesn't mean it can't get any better mm-hmm. or can't be different. That the feature that I wrote, I was really happy with it. And I just took an ax to the entire script and 
knocked it from 120 pages to 85. Mm-hmm. Um, took out two entire characters. And now I'm do- going to be doing a full rewrite because actually I-, I think I can make it better. And it's like, that's an entire month's worth of work that you could easily go, well, I'm, I don't want to waste all of that time. But actually, if you want to, if you want to succeed in the business, you need to be confident in your own abilities enough to be able to, one, know when, when you've made a mistake, and two, kind of stick to your convictions and just change something that it's like, you need to, like, I wouldn't have been able to handle being in the business years ago because I couldn't handle criticism Mm -hmm. at all. Like, threw away entire projects because I got, like, some bad feedback and stuff. And now it's just, like, not everybody... It's a subjective medium. Not everybody's going to like it. But also, from myself, that I need to kind of have that... um, Kind of killer instinct I guess to kill your darlings and go like the the reason that I didn't want to do it at first was because there was one scene that I remember writing it years literally years ago when it was when it was meant to be a novel and it just turns out I can't write novels um that I thought was really cool and and it was literally the definition of kill your darlings like the rest of it doesn't make sense you can't keep it just for that one scene that you like. So yeah, I think being brutal, it's a fine line because you've got to be brutal, but also you can't continue to rewrite for the sake of rewriting. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to kind of know, like gear is, okay, is it ready enough? Yeah, or are you yeah. going to be too precious with it and go, I'm never going to send it out to anyone because things, so you can go either way. Yeah. I think that's right. I think you're completely right on it because, like, I think there's so many films out there or TV shows, you know, that, like, especially with Netflix, mm-hmm. <laughs> that get accepted just for its face value. And so sometimes maybe the script is rewritten. I don't know. But I think a lot of the time, Netflix will see it as face value and be like, cool, you know, it's fine. And it either makes something like, I'm pretty sure the society must have had like a million rewrites because it's a great show. If you watch something like Ginny and Georgia, I don't think there was that much depth to it. There's a lot of dialogue that doesn't have depth. I don't know, that might be for me. I think it's because a lot of the stuff nowadays will be, if you can pitch well, mm-hmm. then you get yeah. given the yeah. And It's the business aspect. You can, you can have a great premise. Yeah and a terrible film like if you think about (laughs) so for example it's a weird example but it wouldn't it makes sense if i wrote inception Mm -hmm. (laughs) it would be the worst film ever written (laughs) because i can't write that and it's like you've got you could easily pitch that and someone would go oh yeah cracking but it doesn't mean that it's the right thing or that it's written well and that's sometimes the problem is that things go, 
because all all people really want and it's sort of like it's like cinema clickbait Mm -hmm. because if it gets you to click on it then they've won yep so it doesn't really need to have that depth to it Mm -hmm. because they've already got you by the time you've realized there's no depth they've already got what they want yeah so and that's the problem is it's just a business Whereas yeah. the ones that are actually doing the stuff are making no money. And but but that's it's why up. it's important to support short film and mm-hmm. stuff like yeah. Yeah. We're, we're running a um a film festival for like independent films. Um mm-hmm. and I've seen one that well I've seen a few now that are amazing. And like one that was five minutes long, made here in Leeds. And it's as good as some of the best films that I've seen this year mm-hmm. in the cinema. Well, not in the cinema, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just you have to search out for the people that actually care about film rather than just to like. And I'm like, I'm part of the problem because Anna, one of our <laughs> one of our co-hosts, was like, oh, I found Finding Nemo because we're doing Finding Nemo on the podcast this week. Mm-hmm. It's like, I found it on this. I was like, um, I've got Disney Plus. And she was like, but you've got Prime. And I was like, yeah. But you've got... And I was like, Anna, I have all of the streaming services. Mm-hmm. And she was like, really? <laughs> I was like, I've got Netflix, Prime, uh, Disney Plus, Shudder, um, oh my god, I felt that like, in myself. Literally. <laughs> and, and, and she was like, now TV, like literally everything. Because I was like, oh, there's someone now TV that you can't get on this. And it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, so I'm part of the problem because. I think everyone is, though. I can't yeah. lie to you. I think everyone is because. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> Because, like, we were talking, because, like, you mentioned when you've clicked it, like, they've won. With Ginny and Georgia, I'm not. I knew it was going to be awful because I'd already seen. Oh my god! I told you it was awful. Yeah, I'd already told you it was going to be awful. I'm a sucker for like bad films or bad series, so I'll already commit. I'll spend nine hours a day watching it all, and but I hated that. But I also find some enjoyment in it, so I feel like I can't really complain that they have such bad writing because I will eat it up. I'll sit there and I'll watch it, but oh my god! But like, I don't know. That's why I also feel like I'm a massive part of the problem. I love oh a bad God. film if it if it's intentionally bad. Yeah. So really? Like, I think... No, sorry, you know, sorry, say it. What's it called? Um, the Asylum. The, mm. the um, production company. The, the, they make Sharknado. Yeah. So they are intentionally bad. They know they're tongue-in-cheek. They know that they're bad. They know that they're really low-budget. Like our second episode of our podcast, we reviewed Two Headed Shark Attack, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And it's one of the worst films I've ever made. But it's our like benchmark now that we call like for our bad films, we say how many shark heads <laughs> does it have? Like thing, because it's like set the bar. <laughs> but when it's something to kind of because literally it's this giant two-headed shark, obviously, and there's a bit that is just the most ridiculous. Like I think it's the the most ridiculous scene I've ever seen in any film, and it's 
this guy because they're all like college students sort of thing like the whole kind of it's basically like a softcore porn film basically <laughs> it's just like they've just paid kind of the, the like people that can't really act and this guy they're on like, this island and he goes oh you two like you can come like they go to like a separated part so that they could go skinny dipping and it was just like so like these lasses take their bikinis off or whatever and then they're in water that is maybe knee level, somewhere between knee and hip level. And this giant two-headed shark that's been like the size of like a boat apparently manages to still eat them under the water in that low level of water. And I was like, we were doing the podcast, I was like, I'm pretty sure actually as a director, and partly because I'm a guy and I know how guys think, <laughs> someone has literally just gone, right, what we need is a shot of two lasses with no bikinis on being eaten no. so that they can kind of go like this and they're being, and it was just like, but I sort of respect that more mm-hmm. than the ones where they don't know that they're bad. Yeah. Oh my god. No, because it's and so they're trying to do something like like the room is the worst mm-hmm. film ever made, but the room has a kind of charm to it mm-hmm. because he partly I mean because he's a psycho, but like <laughs> these big budget were like like the one that we reviewed last week was Halloween two mm-hmm. from Rob Zombie, yeah. and it's like that is one of the worst films I've ever seen. But he thought he was making something really good. <laughs> and it's sort I love, of... <laughs> I love accidental, like... Oh. Okay. <laughs> this is the thing. I love accidental bad films because you can, like, bully them. <laughs> they can't do anything about it. Like, you can literally say all the bad things about them because it, it makes them funny. Like, the accidental comedies, like Riverdale. Just take Riverdale. <laughs> Riverdale oh is God. the worst TV show ever made in the history of TV. I've not seen Riverdale. I, I only so recommend bad. it if you want to, like, laugh at it. Like, because for yeah. me, season one was really... It had a lot of potential, and then after yeah, that, it's yeah. kind of a train wreck. Like, it's, like... It, I think it's on season five now, and it's renewed until season seven. Um, seven. And it's one of those... It's one of those so TV series. It's kind of like losing sight of where it's going. So it's kind of just renewing series and just making like <laughs> new plots and everything. And the only reason I watch it now is to make fun of it. But at the same time, I feel like it's a guilty yep. pleasure because it's not coming back until July, and I feel upset. Like <laughs> like every week, I'm supposed to be watching Riverdale. See, see that. Like, oh. See that's the thing. Is at what point do you enjoy it <laughs> for being what it is? And are you actually laughing at it or not? We reviewed Killer Sofa. This is why you have to be careful because it's on it's on Amazon Prime. It's hilarious, <laughs> but it is essentially a lazy boy that kills people. <laughs> honestly, like like the funniest thing for me was that especially because like it's it's from New Zealand. Yeah, being English. Um, it was like because it's a lazy boy the first thing I said on the podcast was like see what annoyed me is the fact that it's called Killer Sofa and it's not a sofa it's a chair like it's just a single chair so that annoyed me 
but this is why you need to be careful about slating things, especially podcast related. Oh my god! Because I <laughs> shared on Twitter our review of Killer no. Sofa. <laughs> I know where this is going. And it was retweeted by the director <laughs> oh, no. of no. Killer Sofa, and I took an hour slate like. <laughs> because like we did an episode um last week and i said something and i was like oh because what if like it's literally like ricky Gervais, like he's not gonna listen to our podcast but i was like what if he listens to it and he's like oh i can't believe she said that <laughs> I, I said that about sean mendes i said that to be about fair, sean i think mendes. there's I people convinced. that you won't yeah no, no and i and my missus was like well if he's retweeted it then he probably I was like, he probably don't even listen to it, but he's just seen that when he thought tonight. So. <laughs> he thought that I used to right, <laughs> probably right. Like, <laughs> oh. like if he'd listened to it, he definitely wouldn't have retweeted it because I was just like, <laughs> it's it's like again, if you want to watch, if you like bad films, that one thing. Like, I'm watching it's it tonight. Some kind of deep, like because I was like, <laughs> Anna said so. Watch it and then listen to our mm-hmm. podcast. Um, episode because Anna was like pissing herself laughing <laughs> because they made me do the synopsis and I hadn't really like I, I was that annoyed by the film that I wasn't really paying attention so a lot of it I don't re- didn't really know what happened so I did like this angry kind of <laughs> like thing a synopsis of it and Anna was just like that's the best because it's just like there's this sofa and then it kills someone and then oh, is it in that. the chair? Is it not in the chair? Like, they, and I was just like really annoyed, <laughs> but it's hilarious because it's just it's just like and it, it's called Killer Sofa. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's looking back. Some of the films I like, like this week with Halloween too. I said I would rather watch Killer Sofa five mm-hmm. times over than watch that film again because it <laughs> like ruined Halloween as a franchise for me. So it's kind of like the way we're doing our podcast is it's like we've all put in top 10 films and then we've so we do good film, bad film Mm -hmm. each week. Um, And like in a couple of weeks, we get to review Larmageddon, (laughs) which (laughs) is just incredible. I don't know how you find these films. I just like trawling through. Amazon Prime, like Amazon Prime has got so many. Oh, like, I'm gonna have so much fun, honestly. Yeah, Prime has got so many. Like, especially if you watch Killer Sofa, mm-hmm. the, it the, just comes up after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like all of the other ones, they just come up. And like my missus once said to me when I was doing the list, I was like, "Do you want to see the list?" Because she doesn't really like films apart from Disney. And like, <laughs> she was reading it, and she was like, "Right, I just have to say." If you can't get a film made when there is a film called Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls, <laughs> then, <laughs> then there's something wrong with the world. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that's fair, but that's one we're going to be doing in the future. But yeah. No, because I feel like with those ones, they're so ridiculous that it's okay. But when you've got ones that I do like an accidental, you know, bad film comedy but like yeah. the ones on netflix they think they're like doing something but like, oh my god I yes moxie which i don't recommend really it's, it's supposed to be about like um feminism and like high school girls like coming together like 
you know, but they portrayed it in like a GCSE drama piece. Yeah. And they just trying to kind of make a statement. They romanticized the love interest who's a boy because he's a feminist. And I was like, this is not, (laughs) this is not good. Oh, I don't know. I I would much rather watch something like Killer Sofas than like a Netflix film where they've tried, because they always have good premises, I think, most of the time, but they put in these, they just, I don't know what they do. Wait, I have a question for both of you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you think they're bad because they're just bad? Or do you think they're bad because of like, you know, like in the sense of bad, like, is it just because the characters don't have the dynamic or like the characters can't act like the actors? Um, or do you think it's because the writers butcher things? I think it's both because I think they all have, I think they have potential, but the writers, like the writers of Ginny and Georgia, we all like, they didn't know it wasn't good. Um, yeah. The characters I did they lacked depth as well because you've got like because when the writing's bad they often use stereotypes and that makes the characters sort of mm-hmm. fall down because they haven't really got the right depth um for what they're trying to like represent um so I do feel like it's a bit of both I think sometimes with bad acting you can kind of ignore it I think mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention <laughs> but like it I don't know. I think it all goes in hand in hand as to why it's bad. Yeah. When it's not an intentionally bad film, mm-hmm. something is bad for one of two reasons or both. So the main one is they're trying to appeal to a too large an audience. So they spread themselves too thinly. That's partly mm-hmm. why stereotypes come into play mm-hmm. because if it's something that everybody can understand and it sort of leaks into the what I think is the more heinous kind of reason is either filmmakers whether that be the writers or the director or whatever it is they want to do generally it's probably going to be producers because they're executive producers not trusting that your audience can understand what's going on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because spelling something out, how 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 is that meant to be enjoyable? Yeah. Like people like things that they can work out, and it doesn't even it doesn't have to be like Line of Duty, for example, where it's like some crazy plot twist or whatever. But just you don't have to spell everything out, and especially in America, there's that kind of misconception as well, like that Americans are stupid. It's not mm-hmm. true. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. a certain amount of Americans are stupid. A certain amount of English people are stupid. Exactly. Like, it's just, generally, it's the stupid ones that have a bigger voice. So you kind of hear them more often. But it's like, just e- even things like when you watch stuff, visual storytelling is the first thing you learn in, in screenwriting. Mm. And I always pride myself that I have a kind of rule that I don't have any dialogue on page one. Even though it's a stupid role and it's just for myself, it's just kind of, it's because like the first film script I wrote, I knew like, I was like, right, visual storytelling, this is what it is. Um, and it turned out that like the opening of that short film that I wrote was like really good way to kind of lead stuff in because you're not like being talked at, that you kind of trusting the audience to work out, oh, okay, 
this is the situation that they're in. Things like voiceover, but like dialogue and stuff like even people like Disney are guilty of it. And I guess they're aiming at a younger audience, so mm-hmm. they're kind of a bit more for, more mm-hmm. forgiven. But like one of my favorite films is um, Big Hero Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, there's one line in it that I remember watching it and just going, "That just stuck out like a sore thumb." And it was like, maybe if you're just watching it, you might not notice it. But if I just say it now, you'll go, "That's in a Disney film." That mm-hmm. he goes, he says to his brother, like his brother's like um, telling him off for something. I think he was like been out bot fighting or something, and he mentions his mum and dad, and he literally says the sentence, "But mum and dad are dead." Remember? Oh, exact, exactly, genuinely, word for word, and I was like, "Oh, it really? Kind of, it reminds me, really." Of Disney, I think Disney does this a lot as well. Um, I noticed it in like a lot of like sitcoms or like when I was younger, like it's not even just Disney, it's in general, but it's kind of like when um, writers try and set the scene with context without showing it, they say it. So they're like, it's like when they outwardly say the relationships between the characters without showing it yeah. in a way. I don't know how to explain it properly, but that's... Yeah, it's um, forced exposition mm-hmm. where you just kind of, exposition through dialogue is just always bad yeah and there's certain stuff where you can't you struggle with it so for example fantasy you tend to have a more um through dialogue because it people aren't going to know it automatically because they don't have the cues to be able to understand it um so things like lord of the rings it kind of works because you show a picture of Mordor or whatever. No one knows what the hell Mordor is. So it's kind of thing. But but other things, you can't, like, it's just, it's really frustrating because it just takes any agency out of the audience's hands. And, it, and then it just becomes kind of, like, what's the point of you being there if you're not, like, interacting with it in any way? Some people enjoy that, so it's not like, but but that's what we get taught is like bad storytelling, is telling, and and that's the thing. Like, if people aren't going to get it, then they just don't need to get it. Like, mm-hmm. they, and that's again going back to Kaufman that it's kind of like he doesn't really care whether you understand it or not. Yeah, yeah. That it's sort of. And and if you have to watch it four or five times, then that's fine. Then yeah. it's just like I'd much rather be like that than panda to. And and the thing is, like, it, it makes sense if if people needed that, but they don't. Like, give people. And that's the thing is, give people credit. Like, yeah. they're not stupid. They can work out that. Like, you could even like with that parents dead sort of thing there's so much stuff that you can do like in the background that even children will work out the parents aren't there mm-hmm. yeah yeah they don't necessarily like that's all they need to know is that the parents aren't there and there's other ways yeah. of doing it 
but it than than just saying that. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, yeah. like, like the, going back to what I was saying before, the best way to do that is if you want something to get across to the audience, then put it as dialogue. Mm-hmm. Put it as someone saying something really obvious to them and then go back and go, that's really obvious. How can I show that instead? Mm-hmm. And and that should be without anything with dialogue is if you can show it rather than say it, then show it 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, see, I feel like we've talked about film quite a lot and I feel like something that we really wanted to do with you this episode was actually get into like your beginnings and just your process and things like that. Um, so obviously you've talked about your musical theatre background. Is that where you started from? Is that where you gained the enjoyment for writing? Yeah, so it was kind of like... I've always been into drama and acting and I've been in, like, there's a, a student short film that I'm in and um, plenty of theatre and stuff. And my BA is in drama um, that I did God knows how many years ago. Um, and then I kind of created my own theatre company and did that kind of thing and um, like an LGBT theatre company. Oh. Um, which we kind of did like a couple of shows and things like that. I've done pantomime for a few years and then COVID hit and we couldn't do any in in like in-person rehearsals or anything like I do um, directing. So last year, not last year, the year before, um, I directed uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this year... Oh, no, next year now. Um, I'll be directing 1984. So we're doing like a kind of George Orwell um, themed thing. And then, yes, yeah, so then COVID hit and it was sort of like, well, I need something to be a creative outlet. Um, I'd had this novel that I'd been writing for six, six years that is um, based around a cult. So... It's um, like a new age cult that um, where the sort of a spoiler, but I'll kind of give you an exclusive, I guess. Um, it's about a, a cult, the, the leader of the cult that has a car crash and yeah. forgets that he made it all up. Oh, so I, I'd written I'd partly written it as a as a novel, wasn't really going thing, and that was. But I had a belief in the story. Again, it was sort of, well, everyone has that reaction when I tell them and it might be a good premise, but whether I do it well or not is a very different matter. Um, and it wasn't really working as a novel. So I thought I could just turn it into a film. Like maybe mm-hmm. it right, maybe it would work better as a film. And then I thought, well, I don't really want to write a feature film kind of straight out of the bat. So I... Um, wrote a short film instead about um, two guys meeting and that kind of worked worked really well Um, and then I was just (laughs) I have a weird personality where I do things really off the cuff Um, so I applied for the MA just completely thing and not written that was like the only script I'd written um and applied for an MA and got it <laughs> straight, like straight away. Um, 
That's amazing. Like a, a thousand pound bursary to be able to wow. decorate the office that I'm in and get the laptop that I'm using because I didn't even have a laptop. Like mm-hmm. I was, um, but yes, yeah, so I started that in January, um, which changed my process com- completely. Like it was really easy. We had to do like a thousand word essay on well it was like a reflective essay yeah um and like I said before like rewrites and things weren't a thing in my kind of vocabulary um and certainly no planning it was always Mm -hmm. a case of I'd just kind of start and see where I was going whereas the process that we've been taught as part of my MA I didn't write a single page of script for seven weeks which I was like, that's mad, but I'm going to go with it. Like I'm paying a lot of money to do this MA. So I'll listen to them and I'll think, and it was definitely the right decision because you start with a week of thinking of the premise. Then you go to writing a treatment, which is depending on the size. Like ours was like a a thousand words treatment. Um, And then you go to like a step outline where you literally write every single a description of every single scene um and then you go to a writer's statement so similar to a pitch where you're just kind of saying what your vision is and again it's just a lot of mulling over um and then you come to write and it's the easiest thing in the world because you've already written it you've already written it yet you've already done the the step outline you know where it's going you've worked out the any kinks or any kind of things where you're like you've done your kind of whatever structure you want to use you've put that all out there so it's not like you've written two-thirds of a script and you realize oh no that doesn't work so i need to go back and do rewrites you're kind of setting everything in motion and i wrote the the entire script in a day or like an hour like a couple of hours where it was just kind of because it was just falling out because i'd already pre-written it mm-hmm. sort of um but yeah so that's like, that's what what massively helped and then obviously you do your rewrites and, and you draft and you know, yeah. kind of edits and things but that was the biggest kind of hurdle for me to get over was not just jumping straight in mm-hmm. and now jumping I now I do it, it for everything mm-hmm. um and things like like people always say and you see it on Twitter all the time in the writing community and stuff like that people saying about writing every day I don't believe in writing every day mm-hmm. I believe in engaging with your writing every day yeah but that does not mean that you have to sit down at your computer and write 600 words every day because it one it makes people that don't do that feel like rubbish because they don't and two there's other stuff you can do that doesn't require writing so thinking about your story thinking about specific aspects thinking about even posing ridiculous questions like 
what if I did it in space? Which might seem ridiculous at the time, but then actually it might trigger something in your brain to go, oh, well, that is a stupid idea, but this could work. Or kind of, so like engaging with it every day so that you're constantly keeping that kind of fire going without feeling like you have to kind of chain yourself to your computer and just write where like write when when you want to write write but if you don't feel like writing that day then think of something else or even like my missus hates it because i go i'm just gonna go do some work and she's like are you gonna go do some work or are you gonna go watch a film and i was like i'm gonna go watch a film because that is doing work and if you're doing it like with intention so for example if you're just kind of clicking on whatever on netflix that doesn't really count but if you're looking at it and you go okay this is the kind of style that i want and then you watch a film that is in that style and it's not kind of cheating you're looking for things like nobody's made other than maybe the first couple nobody's made a completely original film it's not it's not physically possible yeah, it's the yeah. same with music everything is an amalgamation of something that you've seen of course so just similar to how people say when you want to write read if you want to write films watch a lot of films like tarantino yeah. some people don't like him i'm i'm a bit hot and cold with him mm-hmm. he knows film yeah. that guy knows yeah, like he definitely does like and it's because like he started working in a in a in a video shop and he just mm. watched films all the time and that's the best way to do it that you kind of every single one that i've written one most of it is based on true story not really but a lot of it is stuff that happens in real life because so for example my uni tutor said the best part of my script for wide submitted was the fact that the the main character got a tub of ice cream out of the freezer and what seemed some kind of like throwaway thing was the fact that she took the top off the lid and put the lid in the bin and he was like that's brilliant because you she knows that she's not going to need it that she's going to finish the whole thing so she might as well put it in the bin anyway mm-hmm. and i was like yeah, that's because during lockdown, it was like, I was like, I've done that every Friday <laughs> on lockdown for the past four Fridays. And I thought, I'm oh, nude. that kind of worked. Or like mm-hmm. things that my, like I said to Rachel the other day, I was like, I feel really bad, but I don't like, not not I don't like, I mock her for cheese cereal without milk. And I think it's the most ridiculous thing. I do that. And I was like... <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, I apologise to you as well then. Um, because I was like, I'm writing the script and I want kind of people to know that like, they're like a kind of sad loner. So I'm just going to have them like eat cereal without any milk because of that kind That's of... You know, but in my, in my head, it was sort of like, because yeah, we have Cocoa Pops. But mm-hmm. I was like, some are like cornflakes or something like, like and obviously there's there's different framing devices to make it look more like that but 90 percent of the things are things that have happened in real life i've just reframed them to make my story and that's potentially where a lot of the 
good stuff comes because actually you are doing stuff that's real life mm-hmm. it won't always work because you're looking at different different genres but yeah i think that's where the course and working with like dan and anna that from my um podcast that we're we're three very different people like that's partly why i think the podcast works is that we all disagree completely on on most of the film <laughs> like she's that she still calls the hurt locker foot locker because she hates it that much and it's like a bone of contention um but it means that we get kind of different outlooks on stuff and we can look at things from a different lens um so i think surrounding yourself with with other people that aren't just gonna like your pet like your family and stuff are always gonna be like gonna be supportive you need the people that can go that this doesn't work like yeah yeah you can be respectful like you don't need people that are just gonna slate you but people that are gonna be honest about it and just go constructive criticism Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly because no like i i've again most of this is from personal personal mistakes yeah of surrounding myself with people that were yes men yeah oh my god yes because it because it was enjoyable to me because i was younger mm-hmm. and it was sort of like i needed that validation when yeah. actually now i'm i'm okay with it not being good that's exactly how i feel i can yeah. get it i can make it better that's fine yeah. like it doesn't need to be great but at least if i've got people telling me that it doesn't work then i can make it better of course and it's the people that you trust to be able to help with that as well that it's like okay what do you think then i've got friends that are in undergrad at the minute or foundation degrees are moving to a thing and they're going well i'm gonna i'm gonna set up a a theater company and i'm gonna do all the stuff that kind of i did and all the mistakes that i made but i'm letting them make them Mm -hmm. because i needed to make them mistakes like the theatre company that I put together, regardless of how kind of well received the play was or anything like that, was really damaging to my mental health, was really damaging to my physical health, but purely because I wanted to be taken so seriously that I did everything, and I mean everything. There was not like I built the set myself I with help from like one person basically and it was only now that I kind of look back and I go that was stupid like mm-hmm. it could have been so much better if I'd have just got other people involved but at the time that's what I kind of needed to do because partly because I was trying to kind of prove it to myself, which is generally what kind of people in that in that position are trying to do. Um, because especially when you're 18, like that wasn't, I wasn't, I was older than 18, but when I was 18, be, because you don't know who you are, you, uh, but, and again, it's just like everything, like even being an adult now, to be fair, you see everyone else and you think, and especially like, 
when I was 18, there wasn't Instagram and TikTok and all these other stuff. Whereas now you see people's versions of their life. Like when I was 18, there wasn't even yeah. Facebook. Um, oh no, Facebook had just opened, had just started when I was 18. And it was like, so now you see everyone's perfect version of themselves because that's what they put online. Yeah. And you think, I need to be like that mm-hmm. when actually yeah, no one's like that no one has a clue so what they're doing of course yeah 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 gone really deep sorry I've gone <laughs> into, like, no we really appreciate session. it no we really really appreciate it. I think see even for like where we both are in our positions being at the age we are um we're taking different paths so because I'm in university full-time and Cody's not um it's just seeing a very different experience and you know we both root each other on we both want the same thing we have a similar goal in the end but everyone has to take their own path and I think that's what you're really aiming at um that if you don't take your own path you're never going to learn so my path in the end I want it to be down the acting line that's my goal and Cody's still establishing where she wants to go to she hasn't set her foot in that yet but I think with both of us supporting each other, having that support system, but yes, yet both of us telling each other, this is what you can do better, or this is how we can get there together. That's what really helps because you've got that person giving you that backup and being like, I'm there for you, but I'm still going to push you in the right direction rather than just agreeing with everything and being like, yeah, cool, fine. So I think it's really important. People should be, you should be um, actively gonna sound weird but actively trying to fail yeah yeah because that is where you learn it doesn't have to be like a disaster but just enough to be like i could have done that better Mm -hmm. then you're constantly edging towards towards where you need to be and having having realistic goals but also not settling for second best Mm -hmm. yep that it's just there's so many people anybody that says that you shouldn't go for what you want ignore them yeah yeah just I completely agree because even if like I'm having the best time on my journey to try to get where I want to go even if I don't get there I'll have enjoyed the journey anyway I think that's more important. I could quite easily have said, oh, like I work in customer service at the minute, mm-hmm. but I could quite easily have just gone, I'm just not going to bother. I'm just going to kind of get a, a warehouse job or an office job that I don't really like and because yeah. I need the money and stuff. And it's like, well, it's not just about being famous. Like mm-hmm. I can I can make a good film without being famous. That's That's not what it is. It's about being a better filmmaker yeah it is definitely is and I think a lot of people lose sight of that because again the glamorization of this world this industry um no one realizes from the beginning to the end it can take years uh for one film to be made it can take you know a decade I there was um the favorite took 20 years to make you know so something like that but no one's willing to see that everyone's willing to see the glamorization that the PR is doing that wow oh my god it's Mm -hmm. great being a star but no one accounts for the fact that these people lose their privacy 
um they get bombarded everywhere they go you know there's no this thing there's rumors circulating every single day and like you said you know with tiktok social media being around in general which is very very detrimental especially to like younger kids health because we're exposed to it from a very early age and i feel sorry for those kids who are being put on these platforms at the ages of like you know or maybe from the minute they're born their parents decide to put them on it and i feel like that's just not okay because there's no choice in it yeah i agree yeah like even if you think about it like not just the favorite but someone as charismatic hilarious and wonderful as ryan reynolds Mm -hmm. couldn't get deadpool made for 10 years yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. like when you think of how big that was when it came out and it's just because it it just depends on its luck this this is why like bo burnham especially like someone i can't remember who it was I think it was one of like the late show kind of interviews with him where so one of them, I think it was Stephen Colbert said, what advice would you give? And he was like, I wouldn't ask me because mm. I haven't done anything. Like other than put out my stuff, I've become lucky. So that's my, that's my um, advice is, be lucky because that's all I've done mm-hmm. and that's the thing because and that's what's so detrimental as well is that because people think it's it's about hard work and stuff which it is yeah 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 and that's the thing it's like it it's about that but also the game is rigged against you mm-hmm. nepotism happens oh my constantly. god yes yes like it's just, it's like what Pope was like, give up. Just give up. Your dreams will probably not happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but the grain of truth in it is that they probably won't. Yeah. So what do you do in that in that sense? Instead, you enjoy the journey and hope that you get lucky. Yeah. But but the whole point is settling for becoming better. Yeah. Because yeah. even if you're better and you're just better, then that's better than nothing. And you're putting yourself in the right position so that if luck happens to strike, you're in the right place. Yeah. Because otherwise, people just think of the luck and they don't put in the work and when luck comes round, like the biggest thing you can work on I think if you're a writer or a director or thing pitch yeah pitch mm-hmm. everything because at some point you don't know when you're going to be in front of a person you're going to have to pitch that script and if you mm-hmm. can't pitch that script they're not going to even read it yeah, yeah. So it's a business it's at the end of the day. Putting yourself in the position that if you're lucky, that when you get, if you get in the room, that you're in the right place. Yeah. Like my final, my final question is one of the questions that we got asked in our 
first few weeks at university. Um, ours was about a screenplay, but I guess um, a film. It could sort of work. So is it a piece of art in and of itself? So if you think about it as a screenplay, think of it as a film. Is that film a piece of art if no one sees it? I would say so. Screenplay, yeah. or, or, or should I, let, let's stick to screenplay because that, that works easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. I think it's one of the worst films ever made, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it either. Don't worry. I don't like it either. It doesn't make like the entire plot doesn't make sense because they're looking for who, why he said Rosebud. When you re when you rewatch it, no one was in the room when he said Rosebud. <laughs> but who heard it? For them to be searching, the entire plot doesn't make sense. Anyway. Yeah. Citizen See, Kane. The screenplay. Yeah. If that never got made into a film, is that still a piece of, is that still a work of art? I do think so. I have a reasoning behind it. See, my reasoning is that, okay, so I love reading as much as I love watching films. I probably love watching films more, making films more, because that's where my interest lies. But a lot of like the stuff that we are watching is books come to life and they have to be made into a screenplay first. They have to be dissected into a screenplay. And if a book is a work of art, then why isn't the screenplay a work of art? Because it's taking something that we imagine in our head and trying to apply it into words so that it can be made to something that we can see. So I would consider it a piece of art. I go one further. Books. What's your favourite book? Oh, oh, I know this one, actually. The Great Gatsby in the Picture of Dorian Gray. Imagine The Great Gatsby has never been read by anybody. Mm-hmm. Is that still a work of art? Yes, I think so, 100%. Because I think art is anything that is creative that you're pouring your soul into. And I know, I know F. Scott Fitzgerald technically wrote this. But it was actually Zelda. So Zelda's piece of work was never read as Zelda. You know, it's never written, it's written by her, but it's never read as it's by her. So I think if you're applying it that way, she's poured her soul into this for her husband to steal it and be credited for it. But she was still worth, you know, she was still the artist behind all of it. It wouldn't have existed without her. So I do think that it is art because she, she t- it took everything out of her and it was so beautifully written that even if I hadn't read it, it would still exist and it would still be a piece of art to me. I agree. I think something you're passionate about and something you create is always going to be art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my point being that the, the journey is the more important bit. So it's kind of, it, it's silly to focus on the wrong things Mm -hmm. so focus on creating something good yeah 
And then when you've got Great Gatsby that no one's read, then make sure someone reads it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is my last piece of wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for actually like coming here and giving us so much advice. We really, really appreciate Sorry, I've it. I've kind of okay. taken over and turned it. No, into no, no, definitely not. We love, we love having you. It was amazing, you know, for you to even reach out to us to come here. Um, <laughs> no, thank you so, so, so much. I'm sure everyone's going to love listening to this episode. So for this episode, we are so thankful that Joe decided to join us and he reached out to us. Um, we had an amazing time with him. So thank you so much, Joe. And we hope you all got some more insight about screenwriting and so much more from him. Make sure you do check out their podcast, Clapable Climax. Um, the link will be in our description. But again, just for the lazies, just like last <laughs> week, <laughs> if you can't be bothered... Go follow us and we will tag them in all of our posts this week and our stories. So you can always go and find them and reach out to them. But yeah. (laughs) So again, for more and more chaos, just like we get more chaotic each and every single week. And next week's episode will definitely be more chaotic. Probably the most chaotic episode. Um, Yeah, so make sure to join that one. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Bye. Bye.